Well, don't you love kids? Uh, I loved Reuben. Did you check out Reuben? He didn't say a word. Never lost anything. Have no idea who's a good storyteller. I loved Reuben. He was cool. Uh, Well, our kids helped us uh, this weekend to uh, get started in a new series called uh, Storytellers. If you have your Bible, turn with me, if you would, to uh, Luke 15. Um, I I remember when uh, the boys were small, they loved story time, loved the end of the the day, getting ready for bed. You know, they always wanted to make it really longer than it needed to be. And uh, even if you you like had a game you're watching or whatever you're kind of, you're trying to get back to, even before they could read, they knew if you were skipping pages when you're reading the story, they, they just, they had that intuitive knowledge. Kids love stories. And I don't think that we really ever kind of grow out of that. And Jesus was the master storyteller. In this portion of scripture that we're going to look at, we're going to see Jesus. really the only time in scripture where he tells a story back to back to back. Three stories in rapid fire succession. The only time we really see that in scripture uh, three times real quick. And, and, and he helps us with something that uh, has tremendous implications both in our lives and in our church uh, and in our world. Uh, in thinking about uh, stories, Barry Lopez said this, If stories come to you, care for them, and learn to give them away where they are needed. Sometimes a person needs a story more than food to stay alive, to stay alive. Stories have power. And again, these stories that Jesus helps us to see have tremendous, or he tells, have tremendous impact for us. Uh, so when we think about story, it's, it's Christ coming into our story that changes it. Our story matters. Our story matters when our story changes when we find hope in Christ. Our story matters when that story changes when we find forgiveness and mercy and love and grace. Our story changes and our story matters when we find this imperfect group of people called the church that are Christ followers. And together we work to try to change our world for Christ Our story matters, and your story of where God's intersection came in your life, where Christ came into your life, and if you're not quite there yet, if your story is that that you're searching, that you're looking, I want to encourage you to open your life and allow Christ to come into your story because your story matters and your story matters because it can change someone else's life your story of how uh, the difference that Christ made in your life and the forgiveness and hope and whatever that you found in Christ that story matters if you were with us last weekend um, you heard us talk about the stay of the stay of the church address and in that we talked about who we are and where we're going and and what our vision is what our future is and we talked about and by the way if you missed that you can get online and you can check it out uh, hundreds of people did that because last week we had a little bit of a snow day around here. Uh, and so if you didn't catch it, I would encourage you to do that so you can get up to speed about who we are and where we're going. And so you can get on our website, you can get on uh, Facebook, our Facebook page, you can get on uh, iTunes and, and uh, look at the podcast. And there's a couple things that I want to remind you of that we shared last weekend. And there are two things, and we called them WIGs, a wildly important goal. And it's what we want to try to accomplish together as a church in this coming year. And the first WIG is to create, if you remember this, to create a culture of evangelism that results in 150 people being baptized by December 31st of this year. 
Now, the second wig, wildly important goal, that supports that or is, is related to that is that we want to pair everyone that does, become, that does uh, make that decision to be baptized, we want to pair them with someone who will guide them through a disciple, discipleship track within the first two weeks of, of that decision to be baptized of coming to Christ. Now, those wigs are related to the words of Christ when he says in Matthew 28, to go into the world and to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that, and, and where we're going as a church, influences this series of storytellers. Because the way that we can see that wig, that, that goal, that vision, that, that incarnation, that, that living out or fleshing out of what Jesus told us to do and, and who he told us to be of going into our world and making disciples, we want to help you. And we want to do that together. And our story matters because there are people all around us that need to understand the hope that we have found in Christ. And again, if you're not there yet, I want to encourage you to open your life up during this series to allowing Christ to intersect your story and change your life. Jesus said this when he was talking about why he came to this earth. He says in Luke chapter 19 verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. To seek and to save what was lost. And if we as a church are going are to do something that really matters in this world, well, it probably should start by doing things like Jesus did them. It probably should start with, with having an agenda like Jesus' agenda. And Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. As we think about this 15th chapter, again, I hope you're there in Luke and in this 15th chapter, we see, again, Jesus telling these three stories in rapid succession. For sake of time, we're just going to look at the first two. Um, and maybe you've probably heard these stories before. But let me just kind of read them for you. And as, as I read kind of the first part, and let's answer together the, the question, well, why was Jesus telling these stories to begin with? What was the purpose of of why he was sharing these stories or parables, these stories with a purpose? And so if you look at the first few verses of chapter 15, this is what he says. Or tell about the story. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near near him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and scribes began to grumble, saying, This man, they're talking about Jesus, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told this parable, saying. So again, to try to understand why he tells these stories, we see what was going on. Jesus was hanging out with sinners, and he was he was uh, kind of living life, and he was he had befriended them. That's what we see uh, in him often, um, and we we see that the there are these people, these scribes and Pharisees, that got upset that Jesus was spending time with these these sinners. Now, unfortunately, one big problem was that they forgot that they are also sinners. It's important for us religious people not to forget who we were. To never forget that except for the grace of God through Christ that we were lost and we are lost. And they had kind of forgotten that, that they were also sinners. And so no matter how religious we get or godly we get or holy we get, uh, and and how, how, how good we are at, at pretending at times we can never forget our past. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. When we look at the life of Christ, we see that he often hung out with sinners. 
He often hung out with people that, and, and a lot of times these people knew the condition that they were in and knew that they were sinners. And, and, but it was in, in the way that they're kind of talked about in Scripture, the, the, the sinners were the ones that were kind of the notorious sinners. They were the, because of course, as we said, everyone is ultimately a sinner, but, but it was Jesus hanging out with the tax collectors, which everybody hated in that day, or the, the prostitutes, the lepers, the marginalized. It was, it was those people that, that, that the scribes and the Pharisees looked down their nose at and said that, that you need to avoid those people. You need to stay away from those people. I, of course, grew up, grew up as a boy, and uh, growing up a boy, when uh, you're in elementary school, um, you have certain notions about girls. Do you remember what girls had in elementary school? You know, that cooties, you actually can look that up. It is a thing. There's an urban dictionary. And the urban dictionary, I thought this would be cool. I just want to share with you. The urban dictionary defines a cootie as this. Cooties are unspecified but perceptible faults or deficiencies used by pre-adolescent children to tease or impugn their peers. Now, um, if you hung out with girls... Your reputation was going to be seriously impugned uh, because they had cooties. And what the, the, the scribes and Pharisees are saying is those people have cooties. Those are the people you stay away from. And if you don't stay away from them, all of us, we're going to look down our noses at you. And it's going to mess up your reputation. Don't associate with people with cooties. That's what they were saying to Jesus. The cool thing about Jesus is Jesus didn't care what they thought. <laughs> and Jesus wanted to hang out with people that the world looked at as people who have cooties. And in response to this idea that these people that he, were hang, he was hanging out with had no value or they weren't, they weren't important, they were hopeless causes, he tells a series of stories. And so again, let's look at the first two, starting with verse 4 of chapter 15. Suppose one of you, he tells them, had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he comes home. And then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who have no need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, of course, the third story, most of us have probably heard the third story. The third story is a story that we have titled the story of the prodigal son. The third story is a, is a story of a son who demands his inheritance early from his father. It's kind of a slap in the face of his father. I wish you were dead, and because you're not, I want my money now. And so he takes the money, and he goes off to this far country, and he, he lives crazy and spends all of his money, and he lives this wild lifestyle, and, and he has nothing left. He blows it all. He's destitute, living 
off the scraps that he could find in the pig troughs of the area in the far country where he's away from home. And as he's sitting there thinking about, about his life and how, how it's gone uh, horribly, he thinks back and thinks, you know, the servants in my father's house have it better off than I do here. And maybe if I go and I apologize and I fall on my face before my father and I, I repent of the, of, of the way that I treated him, maybe he'll take me back and, I'll, and he could just let me be a slave or a servant in his house. And so with that plan in mind, he goes. He's almost home. When his father sees him, says he was a, he was a ways off. And his father goes running to meet his son. And the son has this speech all prepared that his father doesn't even give hey, forgive me, I'm sorry, and all that. Father doesn't even give him time to, to say it. He, he, he begins to celebrate, and hey, my son that was lost is home. And he puts a robe on him and a ring on his finger, and he calls for a big party. And then we know the older brother who was upset that his father had called for a party for this brother that had done all this to his dad. Dad goes out and he talks to the son, this older son, and tries to get him to come in, but he doesn't. All three of these stories have the same purpose. They're similar. And there's some observations, just real quick, as we kind of think about Jesus, the master storyteller, and what he's trying to communicate through these stories. Let's think about these observations that we can get from this text. The first thing that we can observe from this 15th chapter is that something of great value was missing. In each of the stories, something of great value was missing. The shepherd had lost his sheep, the woman had lost her coin, and the father had lost his son. Now, there's not a whole lot of shepherds. I don't know by a show of hand any shepherds we have with us in the house tonight and a whole lot of shepherds um, and so when you, you're not a shepherd and you don't hang around with sheep there's some 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 things that kind of get lost uh, in the story as we think about what Jesus was telling them but you think about a shepherd in the culture of their day their entire livelihood was 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 in these sheep and you couldn't afford to be losing sheep and, and we think about this story, and, and we think about sheep, and if, again, we don't have any shepherds here, but sheep aren't the smartest animals in the world. And in and, and the story, the shepherd is going to leave the 99 in search of the one. It was a constant battle to try to keep the sheep together, and so this one had, had gone off, and he valued the one sheep so much that he was willing to risk losing the rest to go find, to go get the one. And he tells the story of this woman. The woman had ten coins. She loses one. There weren't banks. And so she would have, uh, if you had something of value, it would have been in your house somewhere. Maybe it was hidden somewhere. And, and whatever happened, if she uh, had had them sitting somewhere and one drops and rolls off into some dark corner of the house, whatever happens. Some scholars think that probably what actually these coins were, it doesn't say that she has a husband, it doesn't make any mention of that. And some scholars think that actually this money was her dowry. And in their culture, your dowry for a woman was what you kind of brought into the marriage. It's the money that you brought in. And so if you have a nice-sized dowry, then uh, you could get a, I guess when their culture would be an awesome husband, <laughs> depending on your dowry. You, know, you could buy a better mate. Some of you are wishing your dowry had been more that are sitting here tonight, right? Um, well, Maybe she had lost a part of her dowry, so it's going to affect who she could marry, whatever in the world's going on. We see that, that she valued this coin, and it was lost, a tenth of what she had, all of her possessions. Imagine if you lost a tenth of 
everything that you owned. We go back to the story. And again, what was the purpose of the story? The scribes and the Pharisees were upset that he was hanging out with these sinners. They're grumbling at Jesus because they saw him spending time that people, with people that were worthless. That there were certain people that were beyond hope, that were beyond help. Last night I, I watched a documentary that, uh, on German concentration camps during World War II. The atrocities were horrific in those concentration camps. The systematic elimination, extermination of millions of people. There are stories and there are pictures of, of men and women, of fellow human beings that were starved to death or gassed to death or were worked to death by other human beings. Because they came to a point where they saw them as less than, as lower, as subhuman. Or we think about... It was just a day I was really into these cheerful subjects. I actually watched 12 Years a Slave for the first time as well, yesterday. And to be reminded of our history as a nation. In that dark period where we looked at people just based on the color of their skin. And we looked at them as subhuman, as property. And we can talk about past generations and we can talk about the atrocities of of World War II or a slavery of, of of a century even before that. But what about what goes on in our own generation, our own day? What about the human trafficking that's going on around our world, the sex trafficking, this sexual slavery that's happening around our world? And actually, if we pull back, The drapes, we see that it's even happening in our country and even happening in our area. That there are people that are looked at as property. There are women and there are children that are being sold and they're being used and abused. Or what about even pornography? The pornography, the the dirty little secret of our generation that's everywhere and even all too often in the church and in our homes. And in each case, we get to the point where we see another human being as an object to be used. As property, as less than, as expendable. And what Jesus is reminding us in this story is that people matter. That God's creation matters. And that God loves people in this world, people that other people have marginalized, people that other people say are less than or are subhuman, that are expendable. If we go back to the story, I'm sure the, the scribes and the Pharisees, when he told this first story, were thinking, that, that first guy's an idiot. I mean, who would leave the 99 perfectly good sheep to go after the one? Sheep are are not the brightest animals in the world. They're going to wander off. So you're going to, in the end, you're going to have a hundred lost sheep. You don't go lose or go after the lost one when you've got 99. And Jesus is trying to smack him in the face to help him to realize that the one that's gone, the one that's lost, the one that's marginalized, the one matters. And the people that they are looking their nose down at, those people matter. 
It's crazy what the guy in the story did. It's not the conventional wisdom. It's not smart economics. But it teaches us the heart of God. That God's heart is that lost things, lost people matter. And so the first observation from the text is that something of great value has gone missing. So if I were to ask you tonight, is anybody glad that God didn't give up on you? Is there anybody here that's glad that God loved you enough to put up maybe a grandmother in your life or a parent that loved Christ in your life or a Sunday school teacher along your path or or a youth worker or a boss or a neighbor or a church where you could hear the gospel and hear about this wonderful truth, the good news that God loves you so much that he sent Christ to die that you could have light. People matter. You matter. Is anybody glad that somebody didn't give up on you, that God didn't give up on you? So we cannot afford to give up on other people. We can never forget that we were once the lost sheep and that we matter to God. The second observation that we can make from these story, this, these rapid-fire succession of stories, secondly, is that what was missing was important enough to warrant an all-out search. Again, when we go back to the story, what do we see in the story? That the shepherd, as we said, was willing to leave the 99 sheep in the open country to go after the one. To go, it's an all-out search. He, he was willing to, to leave them to go in search of the one, jeopardizing everything to find the lost one. And notice it says that he searches, if you go back to the text, that he searches until he finds it. He wasn't going to give up. It was an all-out search. No holes bar, no turning back, I'm going to search till I find it kind of search. And what about the woman? What does she do? We see that it was a, uh, an all-out search for her as well. She says that she lights a lamp. She was willing to, to push back the darkness. She was willing to light a lamp. She was willing to expend, because uh, lamp needed oil, and you had to pay to buy the oil to have the lamp. You didn't you just flip a switch. You had to pay for that. And she, she had to burn the oil in order to go look for the coin. She was willing to expend her resources to find the coin. She swept the house. She was willing to expend her, her energy as she pushes back all the furniture and, and cleans out the house and sweeps the entire house, it says. She looks everywhere. It, the scripture, again, you can look back, and what is the word that it, that's used? And if you have the NIV, it says that she looked carefully. If you've got the ESV or some other version, it says that she searched diligently, is a translation from the original Greek. Jesus is trying to help us in this story to see the value that's placed on things that are lost. On lives that have wandered away. Church must be a place where we understand that we who are far from God and have wandered back now are being sent out to find others. As we think about our church, we think about our own lives, how do you think that we've been doing? How have you been doing at this? And I don't want to spend a lot of time making anybody feel bad or making us as a church feel bad about maybe what our agenda's been in the past or what, what, how we've done at this in the past, except today, except to say to you today that I want to be the first to say before God and you that I'm asking God, To grow my heart. And to help me understand in deeper, more profound ways. 
that lost things matter to God, that lost people matter to God. And that they warrant an all-out search and to admit that I haven't always had that as a primary agenda of my life to go after lost things and lost people. But I think that if we are going to please the heart of our God, then we need to ask Him to revive this heart in us. To cultivate a heart that values what God values. That values people, that values lost things. So my prayer is that the revival would start with me and I would just encourage you to pray with me that God would change our hearts. It's time for us as a church to do an all-out search. It's time for us to put the, the things that matter to God at the top of our agenda of what matters to us as a church, as individuals. And we'll talk in subsequent weeks about what it looks like to just live that out and to pray for folks and to what it might look like as, as God opens up a door to walk through a door and to just share the, the hope that we found in Christ, what that looks like in natural ways, not, not weird, obnoxious kind of stuff, but just to be open for God to do miraculous things through us and in us. That we walk through this life seeing people as God sees them, as people that matter. There's a final observation real quick, and it's this. When we look at the stories that Jesus tells, is that he, what we see is that finding what was lost resulted in great rejoicing. If we go back to the text, what does it say? What happens when the lost are found in verse 5? It says that he joyfully puts this stinky, nasty sheep up on his shoulders. I'm not losing the sheep again. He puts it on his shoulders to carry it back. In verse 5, he it says it joyfully puts the sheep on his shoulders. He's not mad. He's not upset. He's not kicking it and whatever like we might do if we were going to the trouble of finding this lost sheep. He's excited to find the lost sheep. He joyfully puts it on his shoulder. In verse 6, it says that he calls his friends and his neighbors together and he throws a big party. Isn't that crazy? Imagine he kills a sheep to celebrate that he found a sheep. Maybe. I don't know. But... Uh, but it, it's just crazy stuff's happening in this, in this story. Of verse 7, it says, in the same way, it, it can, it, he, he compares what this guy's experiencing to what heaven does. He says, more rejoicing in heaven will be, will be had over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people that don't need to repent. And the same thing happens when the lady finds the coin. She rejoices. She calls her friends, hey, that coin that was lost, I found it. Let's have a party. Do you think that angels in heaven threw a party when we retired our dad as a church? Do you think the angels in heaven were glad when uh, we updated our church sign or we had a good attendance on a particular weekend? Do you think, you think that's, that they're glad about those things? I'm sure they're glad about those things. They're, they're fine things. There's nothing wrong with those things. But what is it that gets them so excited that they throw a party in heaven? You know what, what it was? It's when you came to Christ. When you made a decision to, to follow Christ. When you realized and you repented and you turned your life over to Christ. All of heaven rejoiced because you matter to him. The lost, when the lost are found, there's great rejoicing. We look at the story and we see that Jesus is sharing with these people that have allowed their hearts to grow cold and hard 
that people matter. The people that they looked at as less than mattered to him and they matter to God. The story that Jesus is telling is a story of good news. And if you look at in the, uh, in the Bible, that word that's translated evangelism is a word that literally in the Greek means it was a word that was used to sh- when you shared good news. And it wasn't just good news. It was like the best news ever kind of news. It was uh, in ancient Rome. It was like a fabulous announcement was made. This word was used describing that kind of announcement, like a royal birth or when, a, when the Romans defeated the Gauls or that, the, that kind of stuff, the major military con- conquest. And, and that's what the gospel is. It is better news than has ever been given kind of news is the gospel. And around here we have two things in the next year that we, we're going to focus on. There's a lot of other things we're going to do, but these two things that, that we want to try to accomplish. And the first is to see 150 people that were lost that will be found, that will make that significant step of being baptized, just, which is this, this point of saying, you know what? I'm all in. I'm a follower of Christ, and I want the world to know it. I'm his. That's a significant step. And then that we match people up, the second piece of that, we match people up that have been baptized and we help them to grow and to be shaped into what it really looks like to be a follower of Christ and to understand the love and the grace and the mercy that we've been given and then become a dispenser of that love in our world. Do you believe that we could do that together? That would be a kind of a crowd participation kind of moment. Do you believe that that's possible? 150 people that, that need hope, that need love, that need grace. 150 people that our world might look down. Maybe some of the ones, the, the, the most under-resourced or disadvantaged in our community. And then others that have everything that this world has to offer, but they still are far from God. Zig Ziglar said this. He said, confidence is going after Moby Dick in a rowboat and taking the tartar sauce with you. And as uh, Dan comes up, as we conclude, I just want to invite you to grab a jar of tartar sauce, church. And how about we have some confidence that we can accomplish this thing that God's laid on our hearts together. And to have some confidence that, that maybe just maybe there's somebody in our life that's far from God that that if I would open up my heart, I'd open up my life and I'd open up my mind and, open up, and I'd begin to see people as God sees them that maybe, just maybe, he could use me to help change their story for all eternity. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for the teaching of Jesus that is always applicable to our lives, that is life-changing. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to grow our heart for what breaks yours. That you would help us, God, to see our world as you see our world. That you would help us to see pockets and areas of our world that maybe the, that, that, that others have given up on and people that others have given up on and people that are seen as less than or people that say they're too hard or they're too far gone or they're too lost or they're too hopeless or they're too this or they're too that. They're too mean. They're too evil. They're too whatever. And help us, God, to see those people as ones that you love and that you want us to leave the 99 and to be about doing some things that helps to intersect those stories with your story that will absolutely radically change their lives. And God, as the pastor of this church, 
pray, Father, that you would forgive me for the moments that I have had where the priorities that you have placed on the church and in our lives and in this world have not been my priorities. And I pray, Father, that you would break my heart and you would help all of us to pray for revival, Father. We pray that you would revive us and I pray that you would start it with me. And you would help me, God, to see the people in my life that you have uniquely positioned me to influence and to love in your name. Help me to do that. Help us to do that. Thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus Christ, and for all that he has done for us. The master storyteller who came to this earth to intersect our story and to change it forever. Thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray.